Hi folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for tuning in to Fat Burning Man, where we talk about real food, real results, and cool lifestyle hacks you can use to be smarter and leaner and healthier than ever. On the show this week, I'm very happy to welcome back someone you guys have been asking about for a long time. I had him on the show earlier, but it's been far too long. He's the best-selling author of The 4-Hour Workweek and many other books that you may or may not have read. Uh, he's, of course, Mr. Tim Ferriss, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this show. We get into a lot of stuff. You might at times feel like this show is going twice the speed as normal, and that may or may not have something to do with the fact that Tim right now is experimenting with ketosis, and his brain is on fire. So we'll get to that in a second. Uh, firstly, you may know that I just launched my hardcover book called The Wild Diet, and it's been getting some great reviews. I thought I might share one with you before we get to the show. This one is Five Stars, More Than Recipes by Michael Wesselson. Thank you, Michael. I bought this book after listening to Abel's Fat Burning Man podcast for months. Abel takes a practical and positive approach to eating well and exercise. I've lost three inches in my waist from following his simple plan for three months. Not bad. I look better and feel fantastic. I decided to buy the Wild Diet book so I could explore new and different recipes and stay true to my new way of eating. There's a lot more than recipes in this book, and I enjoyed having extra information on why this diet works and why traditional American eating and dieting does not. It is especially useful to have this resource because so many friends and family want to know what I've done to lose weight and look so good. Thank you, Abel. Well, thank you, Michael. So if you haven't yet grabbed a copy of my new book, The Wild Diet, please check it out anywhere books are sold. You can also, of course, go to fatburningman.com and check it out there. If you're already enjoying your copy of The Wild Diet, please take a quick minute to leave a review on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple iBooks, Goodreads, or anywhere else you can. Your reviews and feedback really do help support this free show and the other cool stuff that that we bring for you guys and I read every piece of feedback I get so thank you very much in advance and thanks to those of you who have already left a review and grabbed your copy all right so on to the show with Tim we talk about how to get started with ketosis and witness firsthand what it does to Tim's brain uh, the daily habits and hacks that you can use to be 10 times more effective why Tim isn't doing intense CrossFit type exercise right now and how to heal from Lyme disease, something that my brother uh, got and Tim has experienced recently. It's something that you may have heard about or even experienced firsthand. So we talk about the the trials and terrors of going through uh, something that is a an ephemeral condition, especially here in America and, and what Tim did about it and how he's still kind of leveling up to this day. So uh, one quick note about this show. This is the first time I've recorded a show completely off the grid right now, we're up in the mountains by Santa Fe and we're running on solar and cellular. So the connection at times was a little bit scratchy, but I'd say it's a really, really promising start. And I've been impressed with the fact that we can be in totally remote places and still bring the show to you. So I appreciate you bearing with us if there is a little hiccup here and there, but I think you're really going to enjoy this show with Tim. So let's go hang out with him. All right, folks, he is the best-selling author of The 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body, and The 4-Hour Chef. As the master of space and time, he's also got a brand spanking new podcast and TV show. I'm very happy to welcome back Mr. Tim Ferriss. What's cooking, Tim? What is cooking? Not much, because I've been fasting and uh, consuming synthetic ketones, so I'm not doing a whole <laughs> hell of a lot of cooking these days, but a lot is happening. 
a lot is happening and I'm very excited about it. So awesome. thanks for having me back. Yeah. So we haven't talked in a while, but uh, I did listen to your show with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which was one of my favorite episodes of all time of anything. And uh, man, that must have been such a pleasure to sit down with that man. It was surreal, to yeah. put it mildly. Right. Uh, and what was really funny about it is typically if you try to get someone in person, they punt to phone. And then I tried to get Arnold. I pitched doing something via phone. And the, re the response that came back from his team was, uh, we think it would be a lot more interesting in person. Would you be <laughs> able to make in person? And I was no like, way. I think I can somehow fit that into my schedule. Yes, I'll, I'll <laughs> call my other commitments. And uh, ended up you know, walking in past all the security and sitting down at his breakfast table to do the podcast, which wow. was just insane. And I was so nervous. Yeah, uh, you know, understandably, I don't get terribly starstruck often, but, but it's, the Terminator. it's Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> for Christ's sake. So I didn't sleep at all the night before. You know, I had my assistant and uh, multiple people calling my phone to make sure I was up, wow. and you know, three alarms set on my my iPhone, and uh, got in. But I did a ton of research and really tried to dig and pull out stories that people hadn't heard before, including even his own team. And that was that was a blast. So yeah. I was very happy with how that turned out, and it's it's developed into a lot more. So I've I've, I've been now involved ongoing with Arnold and his team doing right. all sorts of stuff for after school programs and whatnot. So who would have imagined? Yeah. And I, as a child of the '80s, who grew up with Predator and Commando and whatnot, yeah. it's just it's it's very few things could be more surreal. But, yeah, no. uh, that was a that was a blast of an interview for sure. That's so cool. And all the people in Predator became politicians somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true jesse ventura <laughs> oh my still god waiting on apollo funny. creed i guess <laughs> yeah that's right yeah the le legislators just and uh running out of candidates so they're going shopping in 80s action films totally, totally who can we pick up so i've been getting a lot of questions uh recently especially about ketosis and uh especially going high fat fast and kind of combining those different worlds. That's something that I've been tinkering with for a long yeah. time and just loving it in a lot of ways. You can definitely stub your toes, but uh, why don't you talk about it? Because those are some of your experiments these days, right? Oh, definitely. Uh, and I, I might have some questions for you as well. Okay. And because, uh, well, for instance, I mean, this morning I woke up and uh, what I'm doing right now, I, I fasted for a period of time to kickstart ketosis just makes yeah. it a lot easier and faster for me to do that, to approach it that way. And then uh, this morning had two or three tablespoons of caprylic acid, which is basically a medium chain triglyceride that converts well to ketones. Yeah. The Perillo brand, for anyone who's interested, I have no affiliation, but that just, they sell, I think it's called something like cap, cap oil or cap, cap tree oil, something like that. Cool. And then uh, had a spoonful of this stuff which is keto sports, calcium and sodium beta hydroxybutyrate. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> seen this. Sounds delicious. <laughs> uh, it is actually not that bad. Yeah. You would expect it to be horrible. The label is, is keto kana, C-A-N-A, which stands for calcium and sodium. And for those people wondering what the hell beta hydroxybutyrate is, it is what a ketone strip measures if you're measuring ketones through the blood. So you have beta-hydroxybutyrate, you have uh, acetoacetate in the urine, so if you're peeing on keto sticks, and then acetone through the breath if you're using something like a ketonics meter. Uh, but the blood tells the story 
generally speaking, much more accurately in my experience, or at least for me. So I, I track the beta hydroxybutyrate. And with this, you're basically just jacking your ketone levels up, uh, which of course your brain and your heart really enjoys. So yeah. I'm this is my equivalent of coffee prior to you and I talking. And then, of course, I wouldn't miss having my, my morning brew of tea, which is just pu'er tea plus ginger and turmeric and just a dash of green tea. Since the pharmacokinetics are slightly different, you get a more extended 15% gain as opposed to flying high and then crashing, as I often do with, say, coffee. But the, yeah. the degree to which I crash on coffee depends almost entirely on how roasted it is, which mm. a lot of people don't realize yeah. uh, can be a major factor. Uh, but that is that is basically my morning repertoire at the moment. And one thing I have noticed, though, whether it's at the beginning of a fast or the beginning of ketosis, oftentimes the same thing, for the first week or so of ketosis, I have incredible trouble sleeping. Mm. Uh, and I'm wondering if you've experienced that or heard of that. I haven't dug yeah. very hard because I just assumed it was other factors, but it's it's so consistent for me. Is that yeah. something that you've you've run into? I have, yeah. And it's different for everyone, but basically the the general answer is that when you hard shift into anything, your body freaks out a little bit. You know, even if you go off sugar, you know, for a week and you've been eating plenty of it for a while, it's like your body's like, what is going on? And you feel terrible, right? Um, yeah. So it's kind of like the carb flu in a lot of ways, which you might have even if you're not a sugar junkie or something like that. So when you go, let me ask you this. Why are you doing this right now? That's, that's, that is the, the meta, the meta question, <laughs> the good question. I, I'm doing it right now, uh, experimenting with these two things, partially out of curiosity because I have better tools available to me than when I did these experiments yeah. a long time ago. So I, I have done experiments with extended ketosis, uh, inter, intermittent ketosis, meaning, cyclical ketogenic diets where I would do what some people would think of as glycogen depletion workouts with weight training and then carb load for one or two days, typically yeah. one day in my case. Just I've done all that. that. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've done these experiments, but when I did them, which was a long time ago, more than 10 years ago, I didn't have, say, a precision extra mm -hmm. uh, glucometer from Abbott that also tests ketones. Yeah. It was all keto sticks, which is very, very, I mean, that's like you know, trying to hit a target 50 feet away with a handgun in your wrong hand with a blindfold on. It's really yeah. tough to get it's precise ugly. with that type of tool. Yeah, it's ugly. And now I've got, you know, these synthetic ketones. I've got the devices that give me blood readouts. I have all of these, uh, these, these toys and tools. So the, the, so one reason was curiosity, but primarily after Lyme disease last year, uh, which I kind of scoffed at for a long time because yeah. my entire family's had Lyme disease. I'm from Eastern Long Island. Everyone gets Lyme disease, but I was really incapacitated and my immune system was highly compromised. Yeah. So this is a way for me to, to see if extended ketosis or ketosis in general will correct some of the biomarkers, some of mm. the blood measurements that went really wonky and weird after yeah. Lyme disease. So some of my lipids, for instance, just okay. got really out of whack and really? crazy looking. Yeah. And I have no explanation for that. So I'm, I'm curious to see if going into a ketotic state will change that or not. Mm -hmm. And I have, I've done blood tests before, uh, and I'm going to be doing a bunch, a whole slew, as you would imagine, uh, yeah. of blood tests and urinalysis afterwards to see if that has any impact. Cool. And uh, we, we shall see. Yeah. yeah. 
My brother uh, got Lyme disease years ago, and the doctors basically denied that that was a thing for the first two years. <laughs> and so, like, that's not good. No, it's not. And so, by the time they got to it and admitted that that was probably the problem, you know, he was so far gone. He he had trouble remembering uh, even phone numbers, you know, like digits in consecutive orders yeah. getting neurological. And so, yeah, it's something that you don't want to tinker around with. Actually, one of my other friends, um, he, he got Lyme disease, the, the early stages of it. And he walked into, um, he actually, <laughs> he works in like natural foods and supplements and stuff like that. That's what he does. Mm -hmm. And so he walks in at, uh, uh, like a health food store to get the natural solution to it. And the guy behind the counter, he's like, look at my hand. <laughs> if you're on the video version, you can see this, but if you're not, I'm shaking it violently. And he looks at his hand and he's just like, I went natural and I made a mistake. <laughs> and uh, it's it's crazy. Wow. So what did you do when you to nip it in the bud? So this this is uh, this is very controversial topic. Needless to say, it I'm is, sure yeah. you've you've seen this. Uh, I do think so. He, speaking as someone who was completely basically destroyed by Lyme disease for a six month period where mm -hmm. I had this, I had very similar neurological symptoms. I was having trouble remembering close friends' names. My wow. knees were so swollen at one point that I, I had trouble getting out of bed. It took me about five minutes to get up and walking around in the morning. Yeah. And uh, partially because I didn't exhibit the telltale bullseye rash that mm -hmm. a lot of people think of as the trademark, including myself, I'd thought of it as the sort of one of the sole indicators of early onset Lyme. But about 20% as I understand it, of people are asymptomatic. Uh, mm -hmm. Topically, you don't get a rash. And I didn't get a rash, so I was just like, ah, suck it up, walk it off, Ferris. Like, you're not drinking enough coffee, you're not sleeping enough. Yeah. I made up all of these other excuses for the collection of symptoms. Mm -hmm. I do think that most cases of Lyme disease are misdiagnosed or uh, psychosomatic. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, Lyme is a collection of symptoms for the purposes of diagnosis is very similar to say chronic depression yeah. or chronic fatigue right. or even m many other diseases and syndromes that have extreme overlap with the symptoms. So I, I think that, that, and for instance, when I went to one of the top doctors at Stanford and I told him that, uh, you know, I've been diagnosed with Lyme disease and his first response was, okay, where did you get Lyme disease? And he looked on the CDC, you know, Center for Con Disease Control map, because he's so accustomed to having like, uh, you know, old retired dudes or like bored housewives in Palo Alto come in and say, I have Lyme disease. And wow. he's been so, he's really? so accustomed to debunking that diagnosis mm -hmm. that he looked on the CDC map and he's like, okay, you're pretty much a ground zero for deer ticks. <laughs> like, let's talk. <laughs> and, uh, the, the, um, the the way that I nipped it in the bud is the, is the conventional approach. And I, after looking at everything, and this is probably going to piss off a lot of people, but yeah. I've dug, I've, I've really dug into this, as you would imagine I would. And I have access to a lot of incredibly good doctors and yeah. biochemists and microbiologists and infectious disease specialists. Uh, one of my, I have a number of concierge docs at the moment, and uh, that's not something I've always had, but I have a concierge doc right now who used to run infectious the infectious disease department for one of the top wow. universities in the country. Yeah. And none of those people believe in chronic, the idea of chronic Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. They don't. If you, if you destroy it using antibiotics, whether that's any, any number of, of broad spectrum or specific antibiotics administered orally or intravenously, mm -hmm. there's very little, little evidence to, there's very little to zero evidence to support 
the contention that the spirochete survives that onslaught of antibiotics. Yeah. Yeah. There's just there's very little evidence. So my theory, so I used antibiotics, doxycycline specifically. Now, uh, those are powerful drugs. So mm-hmm. my my pet theory is that the chronic symptoms that people experience that they attribute to chronic Lyme disease are not from the Lyme bacteria or bacterium itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is from the, the, the gut flora depletion sure. that it comes after a long stint of using antibiotics. Right. And uh, what I've been amazed by, quite frankly, I'm really familiar with the microbiome and I have access to very good startups. Uh, you know, I'm an investor in a company called Ubiome with a U, which does this type of testing. And I've been fascinated to see how hard it is to repopulate your gut. Uh, and I've been doing the, obviously not while I'm ketosis, but you know, the, the kombucha strains, Mm -hmm. the like L plantarum, all of the probiotics, but not just the probiotics, that's not enough because those will just pass through your system if your GI tract doesn't have the environment to host good bacteria. So I'm taking prebiotics, the baobab root, the inulin, the different types of, of uh, insoluble fibers and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And really doing all of it. And my before and after still looks almost identical when I really? do a, uh, a GI sort of fecal matter test. Wow. Yeah, it's very, very demoralizing. So I suspect that that is a huge, huge component with some of the residual problems that yeah. I'm having. And so this, this is how I, this is part of my detective work. So, right. you know, hopefully the testing that I'll, that I'm doing, and there is some evidence to support, although it's, it's also highly speculative. There's uh, or I should say incomplete. There's some evidence to support that a ketogenic diet can help. Uh, there, there's the possibility that it could help restore a, uh, a better balance yeah. of, um, of bacteria in the gut. So I want to, and keeping in mind, like I've done slow carb diet, you know, very similar, obviously to paleo with legumes and so on added in mm-hmm. for a very, very long time. And so I'm not a high carb necessarily eater. I'm certainly not eating the standard American diet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a case to be made in fact for beans and legumes, uh, as as uh, prebiotics, right. just given the starch that's involved. But uh, so I've been following a very healthy diet, but my blood tests got really majorly out of whack mm. after the Lyme and then the antibiotics. So that's a yeah. very, very, very long answer. But that's why I'm doing these experiments. And uh, my belief based on all the evidence so far is that antibiotics do work at killing the, the Lyme spirochete. And mm-hmm. that and my and pet theory else. subsequent to that, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're dealing with like napalm. I mean, it's yeah. it's not, you know, this is not a sniper shot. Like you take broad spectrum antibiotics, you're just basically swallowing napalm and killing whatever's <laughs> in there. Yeah. So, um, but I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic because when people say, "Oh, it's chronic Lyme. We don't know how to treat it." Like the the spirochete is dug it, you know, digging into the biofilm and hiding. And I'm like, "What? What are you talking about? Like you're infested with thedins? Like that's this is science <laughs> fiction, folks. Like there's, you know, this is not." this is just pure fantasy land. And, uh, you know, it's not some malevolent, like sentient being that's like, okay, like let's, let's gather the troops and hide in this tissue because we know the (laughs) the antibiotics are coming. Like this is not how these, these things work. So I'm, I've actually been in a way oddly reaffirmed and excited about the fact that I don't think there is 
a chronic spirochete activity. I think yeah. it's I think it's 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 almost certainly related to microbiome depletion. And yeah. then the so so now the question is like, well, you know, and I'm not I forget if I can curse on this show or not, we'll but it's like it <laughs> from long from Long Island, it's hard to keep inside of me, especially with this topic because it yeah. pisses me off so much, <laughs> so many cool. levels. Uh, the uh, I'm really I, now. It's just a question of testing with the microbiome. So I'm yeah. doing a ton of that, and I'll be I'll be announcing a lot more of that stuff as I as I try to figure stuff out. Yeah. Um, but the the other thing I would say to people out there, just just to be really clear, the tests that are used for testing Lyme disease are very primitive. So you get a lot of false positives, mm -hmm. meaning you test positive for Lyme disease when you don't have it, and you get a lot of false negatives. Meaning you test negative when in fact you do have it. Yeah. And uh, whether that's the ELISA, the Western blot, or otherwise. And there are labs out there. I'm not going to mention any names because I don't want to get anyone in legal trouble. But labs that specialize exclusively in Lyme disease are incentivized to give you answers that require further testing. And I've seen wow. some really scandalous, Jeez. horribly <laughs> uh, malevolent, in my opinion, yeah. behavior from a lot of these labs, which are very well known in the Lyme communities, and uh, most rigorous docs and scientists think those places are just charlatan shops. So yeah. cool. So one of the things I'm really fascinated by aren't what people write in their books, because I know that anyone can write anything in books, especially being an author now. But <laughs> what do you do every day, especially considering, you know, you're launching, you're busy. How do you keep up with all the, the knowledge that's in your head and reconcile that with like actually having <laughs> zero to little time in a lot of cases to do the things that you know you should? Definitely. Uh, there, it's, it's, a, it's a constant challenge. And the reason I say it's a constant challenge, and I, I do have some answers, uh, but it's a constant challenge because once you create slack, let's just say, once create you create slack. some, yeah. once you create a buffer where you have improved a process or you've divested yourself of an activity or ended a relationship that was very time and energy consuming, once you have that new capacity, if you're a type A personality and very hyper aggressive, and I would say that I'm in that <laughs> boat, you're in that boat, I'm like, sweet, look at all this free time I can now right. use for something else. And yeah. you very quickly fill that void. And uh, it doesn't have to be with work stuff, but it could just be with commitments of various types. Right. So in my particular case, the f there are a few things that allow me to operate well. Uh, and if I do these things every day and I'm fallible, I, I still will have days where, for instance, I can't sleep well, and so I'll wake up later than expected. Mm -hmm. That's uh, And I am a night owl. Historically, I go to bed four or five and wake up very late. I mean, wow, like, really? really? Four if, or five. I'm, if, I, if I'm writing. Yeah. So I get my, my best writing done between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. And Twilight that means, hours, yeah. right, which makes sense. And it's actually very common for writers. It's not all across the board the case, but for writers to get the most done when everyone else is asleep, which right. makes perfect sense. So you yeah. can either go to you can either go to bed very late, which is what it has been historically what I do, yeah. or you can wake up very, very early. Yeah, I do the morning and, one. Right. So uh, what I have realized is if I wake up, I don't have to wake up at the crack of dawn, but if I wake up around 7.30, 7 or 7.30, that gives me a good hour to hour and a half, at least uh, particularly on the East Coast, but even on the West Coast, mm -hmm. where I feel like I have, I've gotten a start on the day. So just psychologically and emotionally, 
I don't feel rushed. I don't feel yeah. like I, I got out of bed and someone dropped me on a treadmill running at like 10 miles an hour, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, is, is the feeling that you can have, which is very reactive. If, mm-hmm. if you wake up late and have to jump into, say, email and you're like, oh my God, you refresh the screen and I'm sure everyone's done this. You refresh the screen and you look at the total number of email count and you're just like, <gasps> and you wait and then it hits and you're like, <laughs> oh my God. So... So the first thing would be waking up between seven, uh, you know, seven, seven thirty. Let's say. Yeah. Uh, the second would be meditating for twenty minutes first thing in the morning before mm-hmm. I check text messages, before I check any type of medium that could dictate my schedule yeah. or interrupt my schedule. That part is epic, life changing, yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. And it's it's there are many different ways to do it. You could use an app like Headspace or Calm. Uh, I don't use an app. I tend to just sit down and. Uh, meditate using techniques from transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. It, it's I don't think it makes that much of a difference, quite frankly. And and TM to take a course, which I recommend, or a classes, let's say a four to five day class, which is an hour a day at like lunch break. Mm-hmm. I found it very helpful because I was accountable to someone else, mm-hmm. and I realized that historically, if I weren't accountable to someone else to meditate and record that experience and discuss that experience, I wouldn't do it consistently. It's just yeah. too optional an activity. Uh, so, so TM, it's just TM.org, was very helpful for me. There, there are things that I disagree with uh, in terms of just how the organization is run, but. Uh, the, uh, it's very secular. They do have like the, you know, the Indian guru thing that you have to get past in the beginning and you're like, all right, I got it. Like I've seen the picture of your dude. Like, let's get to the the technical, you know, meat and potatoes. Uh, but it's, it's just repeating a sound, a mantra. I don't like that word. I think it has a lot of weird connotations, but just repeating a sound. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that allows you to basically turn off the monkey mind by like introducing a type of organized static. That's how I think about it. Mm So it's basically a warm bath for your brain where you just chill out, uh, and, and stop the chatter for a brief period of time. And, uh, Vipassana meditation, I think, is also mm-hmm. uh, very helpful. Different types of mindfulness meditation. You know, I think there's a, a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are by yep. John Kabat-Zinn, which I think is very helpful. There's another one uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh, his first book, uh, who was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Mindfulness is Every Step, or something like that. And uh, those are two very good intro books, in my opinion. But if if you're like, you know what? Too much work. I don't need more homework assignments. Just try guided meditation, headspace, mm-hmm. uh, calm. Sam Harris, who's a good buddy of mine, he was also on the podcast, uh, PhD in neuroscience. He also has some guided meditations of his own cool. on uh, samharris.org. Uh, so H A R R I S. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, so those are two pieces. The last would be some type of movement practice. And when I say movement practice, I'm very deliberately not saying exercise because it doesn't have to be a workout, but some type of physical movement, ideally outdoors. So my instrument of choice is long walks and, uh, which helped tremendously for deepening ketosis as a side note. Yeah. But, but long walks, not doing cross, you know, necessarily anything like a CrossFit workout, uh, particularly since I'm just getting kind of back on my feet after all of these autoimmune issues and right. the the really super like head against a wall, smashing through bricks approach to exercise. I've in my older years just realized is is I I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's necessary. And um, 
So, uh, you know, I'll still do that stuff on occasion, but right now it's not my mode. I'll, I'll go for like a two, three hour walk nice. and I'll batch my, I'll batch my phone calls mm-hmm. or listening to podcasts yeah. that I either listening to for relaxation or because I want to figure out like, how are they doing sponsor reads in a way that isn't annoying? How are right. they doing A, B, C, D, or D? Like, do, are they choosing pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll, whatever? The, I mean, I'm, I'm in research phase with all yeah. that stuff because, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate with, you know, the Tim Ferriss show's done. It's done really it well. Yeah, it's it's been absurd, and uh, I started it as an experiment where I was like, all right, you know what? And this is for for those people listening uh, to tie it back to your question, like how do you make things work? I make things work by partially taking new projects and mitigating the fear associated with them. And the way I do that is I take something that people might view as a permanent decision, quitting a job, starting a company, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And in the case of podcasts, a lot of people start a podcast, but they don't have any exit strategy. So in in other words, they're like, hey, I should do a podcast. But uh, I like to think about it almost as a sort of a poker player might. And, you know, that was one of the, the skills that I, I did in the, in the TV show. I had a week to, I'd never played poker and I had a week to try to learn enough to compete against professional poker players for my own money, mm-hmm. like thousands of dollars at the end of the week. But so deciding in advance, like, when am I going to walk, right? And if you buy a stock in the in stock market, same thing. Like, when, what is my exit point? Yeah. So for me, I established that with the podcast, I was like, I'll do a six-episode experiment. And it's going to be self-contained. I'll try it. If I don't like it, I'm going to end at six. And I decided that in advance. So I knew that my the total amount of work was very clearly defined and yeah. contained. Yeah. And then I tried it, and I was like, hey, this is actually really fun. And I'm having a good time with it. So I kept, <laughs> so I kept doing it. Yeah. But uh, – Treating, I treat almost everything in my life as a series of two-week experiments, like two to four-week experiments. Mm-hmm. And there are set points to reassess things. And I think that's very smart, much in the same way that some people I know, and uh, granted, I'm in San Francisco, so I'm surrounded by all sorts of weirdness, but yeah. uh, some people I know renew their wedding vows every year, and mm-hmm. they sit down to like talk about it and basically do like a performance review right. of each other. And um, I I met with this one guy. I've been spending a lot of, I've been trying to spend a lot more time these days with really happy 60 and 70 year old men, because I'm a dude, just 60 and 70 year old men who have very good relationships with whether it be, you know, their wife, their kids. You hang out with my dad. (laughs) Yeah. No, but seriously, like just interrogating those people because it is so, it's not common. I mean, I, I, at least in the metropolitan cities in which I've lived, I mean, most people are pretty unhappy and most people have marriages that are really, really rocky. Uh, And not to say they don't take work regardless, but it's very challenging. I'm just realizing watching as, as I am now, you know, I'm 37 and a lot of my friends are getting divorced and these are like good, smart people who are benevolent folks. I mean, they're trying to do the right thing. And, uh, so I, I met with one older guy and uh, we were having drinks and he said that every, I think it's every quarter. And I thought this was so genius, like every three, and he's a very successful business guy. So Mm -hmm. this fits his mind perfectly, but every quarter, and I think this was actually his wife's idea, he gets graded on a 10-point scale as a husband, father, provider, and lover. Wow. And, and he gets graded on a 10-point scale for each of those, but he doesn't have, he, they're not evaluated 
or he's not judged in each of those independently. So his wife has a total Hmm. that he has to hit. And that's the that's the most important thing. So, for instance, that is he might genius. Yeah, isn't that smart? So, so he'll travel for say two months, and he'll be like closing huge deals, and he'll be overseas, and so he'll he'll get a ten out of ten on the provider score, a nine out of ten. But then, as say lover, he's not going to do so hot because he's yeah. just not available. Father, maybe who knows? Husband, maybe who knows? And uh, I just thought that was so smart because most people, uh, myself included, like will will be involved with projects, whether those are. Uh, just a relationship with an assistant or a relationship with a boss or a relationship with fill in the blank. It could be anything, you know, yeah. a creative partner where you're whatever, the, right. you're making pottery together three times a week. <laughs> and these little problems can fester just like Lyme disease and become really, really big problems. So mm-hmm. it's like prophylactically, can you build in these check-in assessment points to not only identify problems, but just optimize for a better experience and a better outcome. So, yeah. um, holy shnikes, these freaking <laughs> synthetic ketones are really popping right now. Uh, but uh, I, that was like a, an answer to 15 questions that you didn't ask at all, but that's okay. Ketones work, folks. Yeah. They work. Dude, brains love ketones. Oh, my God. No, but that is so cool because I think um, it's important to think of things cyclically right? You can't just get like an A plus across the board in everything, right? Like I remember being in high school and I graduated early. So some terms I would, you know, have to be the lead in a play and get straight A's. Couldn't be on the football team at the same time. You know what I mean? You kind of have to pick your battles as, as it were, and also look forward to the upcoming battle when you can take your foot off the gas on one thing and really come back refreshed to another. Definitely. Definitely. And life is about, uh, I think, you know, investing is a very interesting practice because investing money is a metaphor for the rest of the assets and resources in your life because yeah. life is really a series of choices about resource allocation. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have 